Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast, where it is my duty to explore all things related to living an optimized and fulfilling life. I personally am on the never-ending journey to improve myself and figured why not share my findings and my conversations with as many people as possible. This episode is brought to you by MyLifeEnchanted.com, which is where you can find all things related to the Life Enchanted movement. You can sign up for my email newsletter on there, read my blog, check out some apparel I designed, and a bunch of other stuff as well. Also, I would love to keep this podcast relatively sponsor-free, and to do that, I need your support through Patreon. You can visit the support tab on my website to learn more about that. Your contributions through Patreon will keep the Life Enchanted content flowing and will also help me dedicate more time to expanding the content, i.e. the blog and newsletter and whatnot. But most importantly, a portion of every cent that comes through Patreon and my online store will be donated to Metro World Child. You can find out more about them through my website on that support tab. Also, please consider leaving a rating and possibly a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're using. Your feedback helps other people discover the show and join the movement. My guest for this episode is Morgan Snyder, and before I get into his bio here, I first would like to say that regardless of this being a podcast episode, this was one of the most insightful and encouraging conversations I've ever personally had, and because of that, I will be releasing a part two with Morgan, and possibly a part three, honestly, depending on how part two goes, but that will be soon because there is so much more that I want to talk with him about. So now let's get into his bio. Morgan is a strategist, entrepreneur, teacher, writer, and speaker. His passion is to both be shaped by and shape the men and women who are shaping the kingdom of God. In 2010, he established BecomingGoodSoil.com, a fellowship of leaders whose global reach offers guidance for the narrow road of becoming the kind of person to whom God can confidently entrust the care of his kingdom. He serves on the executive leadership team of Wild at Heart and Ransomed Heart Ministries, having served alongside John and Stacy Eldridge for more than two decades. Side note, John Eldridge, I had on the podcast as well, his episode blew me away. Um, And if you like this one, you will definitely like that one. Highly encourage you to go back and check that one out. Uh, Back to the bio. Morgan goes off the grid every chance he gets, whether bow hunting in the Colorado wilderness or choosing the adventurous life with his greatest treasures, his wife, Cherie, his son, Joshua, and his daughter, Abigail. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Morgan Snyder. All right, Morgan, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, I'm super stoked to uh, connect with you. It sounds like 
uh, on the level of the masculine soul. We share um, uh, some really cool treasures and we're like-hearted. So I'm very just grateful to get to connect with you today. Likewise, man. Likewise. When I got, I get quite a few emails from, from different, um, I'm not even sure their titles, but publicists kind of pitching their guests and I, I read through them and honestly, 90% of them I, I pass on. But when I read your bio and your book and your story, it was just like immediate yes for me. And that is rare. So I'm excited to talk with you, man. Yeah, likewise, a future, a, a fellow adventure seeker, mm-hmm. life seeker, someone that really um, is willing to do more than tinkering with the, his masculine soul and masculine initiation. I can just tell Nick, you're you're the kind of guy that wants more, and you'll fight through a lot to see it come to fruition. So it, yeah, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you, man. Thank you. So I thought a good place uh, for us to start would actually be with bow hunting, um, which I know you're pretty passionate about, and I myself have some experience in it as well. Not a tremendous amount. It's usually just like backyard target shooting, but I did slay a turkey last year, which felt awesome. Oh. <laughs> yeah. um, Turkeys are amazing. Yeah, man. Oh, running it was, Tom it was so mud, fun. It's amazing. They might as well be a regal, you know, 600 pound totally. bull elk. They're, totally. they're, they're fantastic. Well done. With, within two hours, I had that thing on the barbecue too, which was awesome, but <laughs> it, did, great. it did not taste like the Disneyland turkey leg that I was envisioning. It is not a butterball <laughs> and it is not a galactic goblin, but every person has to have that experience. And even that, just the soulfulness of that, Nick, of the difference of what, what a turkey becomes in your mind from mm. something for, you know, on sale, a Thanksgiving that's huge and plucked to yep. something that's strutting and regal and extraordinarily beautiful in mm. an outdoor setting, you know, with, with very little white meat if yep. it's out there trying to survive. So yeah, that's, that's a very soulful experience and a good piece of initiation. Good, yeah. good going. Thanks, man. Can you speak to what bow hunting does or has done for you? Sure. I think, I think what's helpful is over 95% of men are not hunters. And so I think what's really important to talk about is to respond to that is to respond to the mythic and respond to the universal and what we all share. So my response would relate to all men, but I think it's most helpful to start with boyhood. And my boyhood was suburban, um, upper class Mm. golfer, Argyle socks. That was my word. <laughs> there wasn't an outdoor venture. Now it was in my heart. We'd play cowboys and Indians and we'd find BMX trails and go hunting werewolves. Like it was in me, but my story did not provide for the opportunity. And so I became a, a, a believer in the sense that I came to a full confidence and trustworthiness in God as my life in high, in, in, in college. It was a radical reorientation nick and what i found in that was though i gave my trust and confidence over to god inside i was still a boy Mm. and i couldn't have told you that at the time but i was a man's body on the outside with a boy on the inside Mm. and what i needed was initiation what i needed was restoration what i needed was inner transformation as a man that was beyond what kind of evangelical Christianity might call salvation. Mm-hmm. That was wonderful and significant, but it was not sufficient for what the soul needed. And so the next 20 years of my life was being fathered um, 
as a son and initiated as a man. And a lot of that came through wilderness and much of it through the context of bow hunting. Mm -hmm. So I moved west to Colorado and I was a neophyte. I didn't know anything about Mm -hmm. anything when it came to wilderness, survival, working with my hands, being outdoors. And I plunged in. I chose humility to be a student and I found men in front of me that knew things and I was voracious in reading and learning and asking questions and I put a lot of miles on the odometer and what I found Nick in bow hunting was it's like fly fishing is to bait fishing it's all awesome Mm -hmm. but there's an artistry in it Mm. to get that close to an animal you have to love the animal. Mm. Um, what I found was the archery hunt begins where the rifle hunt ends, particularly on public land, spot and stock style that we do in the western slope of Colorado. And so in that pursuit, what I found was most of the hunts are unsuccessful. Most of the hunts, I don't ever bag an animal. But what I always recover is a story. And what I found is I'm a meat hunter. I love to provide meat for my family. I'd love to have an animal around our table, which we have most nights now, that's named because the name carries the story. Mm -hmm. And so we celebrate. We thank God for the animal. We process our own meat in the garage. And we we experience and embody more of the process of the greater whole. And so what I find is even the meat doesn't last forever. The freezer runs out, but the story is with us forever. Mm. And so early in my hunting, I, I, I got to this question and some of it was through putting myself under older men that ended up being a poor experience. They were not the kind of men that I wanted to become as a hunter. And I didn't know that part of them were making some really um, unfortunate choices as a young hunter, uh, compromising my own values that I didn't even understand at the time. And so I put on my bow case, what story do I want? And I made a custom sticker and I realized what I'm really chasing are the stories. What I'm really chasing is wild. What I'm really chasing is my masculine initiation and it's bow hunting that helps me recover that in large measure. Wow. Yeah, that, I mean, I have a million questions right now. That was amazing. Thank you for sharing all that. First, uh, first thing, can you share with us what you wrote on your bow case? Yeah. What story do I want? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that was the statement I wrote. The, I oh, went. that is the statement. That what is story? The statement. Oh, right. Because what happened, Nick, is I went out and I found myself participating in a story that I didn't want. I was driving Got in a truck. This was a rifle hunt early in my hunt, and the guy that was an older man and I, I allowed to be a guide for me. He was, you know, as casual as friendship, but I didn't know him well. But we came driving in the dark, and the sun was coming up. Um, just before shooting light. So this is illegal. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know. I have a loaded rifle in the the car. I didn't really know. I just did what he told me to do. And a herd of elk came running across this old dirt road. And he said, get out of the truck, get out of the truck. And he said, use the the door as a a rest. Mm -hmm. And, And all I saw was fur. What no one taught me was you never increase the magnification of your scope until you're on the animal. Mm. And so all I saw was a blaze of fur. And I just didn't know where to aim, what to do. And I just felt fear. I froze. I mm. felt I was a young boy 
that hadn't had experience enough with a rifle, enough with an animal, enough with the wilderness. And he said, shoot your gun, shoot your gun. And I fired a shot and we found blood and I never found that animal. Mm, that's the worst feeling ever. Oh, it was, it was horrible. And, and I realized I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. I violated my own conscience. But in compassion, I also know I was a boy that was uninitiated that allowed myself to be in a compromising environment where I said, I learned from this. I, God forgive me for wounding an animal. I won't ever do this again. And now what is the story I want? So that's why I captured that on my bow case. And that's what caused me to move from rifle to a bow and to align myself with the kind of men that I want to most be in the woods with because they're the kind of men I want to be in life with. Mm, so that, that what do I want my story to be is, or what story do I want is just a recalibration of your compass when you see it's just a reminder of of what you're out there for what you're destined to do what what fulfills you and what you want to become exactly and for me hunting provides that and i would suggest that public land fair chase bow hunting will do that for many men but it's not intended to be a caricature it might be high stakes chess competition it might be gardening you know for a man Mm. that spends his time under the hood of a of a truck, it may be playing golf or giving your wife a manicure. That's what I mean, that the context changes. It's the heart that we're after. And so those questions of our masculine initiation are always before me, and they're the lens by which I interpret all things. You know, it's been said that we see things, Nick, not as they are. We Mm -hmm. see things as we are. And so Mm. as a man, what I have cultivated is this lens where I'm constantly holding before me these questions of masculine initiation. Who is God? Really? Who am I? Really? What is the story, the true story in which I find myself really? What is the edge of my frontier as a man, as a human being, Really, those are those questions, and they're the same questions for my 16-year-old son, for my 13-year-old daughter, in gender-specific ways, and they're the Mm -hmm. same questions for my soul, and that's what I use in hunting. Mm, That's so good, man. That's so good. I I mean, just along those lines, I don't want to dive too deep into this, but I think it's important to note that those life-giving activities um, or hobbies or whatever they are, they're how important those are. And I think we get lost, especially in, in modern day culture and society, the way that things are working digitally and online and the seclusion that takes place in all these things. Um, I've, I've actually had what you were kind of just talking about yesterday. I was really thinking about and kind of had an epiphany. I've struggled mentally with, with depression and anxiety and all these things. And lately or recently we moved into a new house. And since we moved into this new house, uh, a month ago, I've just been getting after it, taking ownership of my yard and, you know, laying turf and cutting trees and all these different things. And I've been super busy putting in all this sweat equity, but this time that I'm spent out there providing, making my house nicer, using my hands, sweating, being exhausted, making me sleep well, um, feeling this purpose has really got me out of my head. And I, and I was reflecting on it like, wow, I've like mentally right now, I am doing better than I have in a long time. And I can't help, but 
but think that the correlation between this this sweat equity I'm putting in these these mindless labors and these the, this purpose that I'm getting out of it is is correlated to that because I'm not just like at my computer or in a cubicle or just on my phone all day long letting my mind wander into these you know depths where we're vulnerable from the enemy just to be you know led into into evil evil thoughts and evil desires and you know incessant thought patterns and all these different things so i man i think there is so much there and that you know i i kind of worry for the younger generation because i think that this is kind of a becoming a lost art and people are becoming more and more addicted to video games and i mean video games in some point could be that release but i i mean i don't i don't think that would be probably for the majority of people. But, you know, I, I just think it's so important for people to have these life-giving exercises that take them out of their own head and f- make them feel like they're, you know, providing for themselves or for their family or whatever, man. So that is all so good. Yeah, that's really well said, Nick. And you're pointing to some really uh, important realities of masculine initiation I think first, I just want to reflect back that you have, you're growing in awareness of the, your own interior landscape of your soul. And mm-hmm. in our busied, frenzied culture, we so often just numb ourselves to what's going on inside until things blow up. Yep. And so first off, I want to commend you. Well done. Thank you. Man. Way to pay attention to it. And then secondly, what I want to notice um, and just point out is like, it was available. It was so beautiful as the father orchestrated in this new house that you bought a path and a process to mm. engage in initiation, to work with your hands and to bring some trees down, to lay some turf, right? Like what I so appreciate is the narrow road is available to everybody. Mm. It's only chosen by a few. It has always been so. And There is always in every moment a narrow gate being made open to us for us to walk through, if we so choose, by a loving father who's orchestrating our initiation. And so your house is a brilliant example of that. Mm. And I speak to it very deeply. Um, what What you're talking about, I go really deep in the chapter in Becoming a King called Becoming a Generalist. And I think you will really appreciate it, as will your tribe. But it speaks to the reality of what you're talking about in our current culture. We have to come with great empathy. We live in a very unique hour on the earth. And this doesn't have anything to do with COVID-19, though that exacerbates it. Mm. We live in an hour of incredible progress, increasing change exponentially. And so if there's anything that marks us as human beings at this point in the story, we live in a time with exponential change and progress gives us more and more faster and faster. And so simply to be brief in this moment, Nick, by way of response is it, 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 moves men to become specialists. It baits men to become really good at one thing. And that thing is often an artificial thing. That is to say, it puts a man often in an artificial world, Mm. artificial light, artificial communication, digital, virtual. And we become specialists and we exchange 
we make a commoditization of of the things we need so we exchange it for money and you can buy anything for money now you can buy sex Mm -hmm. you can buy friendship you can buy value for money but what happens is parts of the man's soul go to sleep parts of what god intended as a man get atrophied like a muscle um, after you you have a broken bone that's been in a cast if anyone's had a broken bone they know that those muscles are very fatigued and atrophied when they come out and they need to be regenerized and revitalized and so in our culture we end up as a result of what you described this plugged-in world as specialists we we um, become men that actually have many parts of us that are still a boy inside. Mm. And part of the invitation to initiation is to recover the whole man. Part of that is to recover what we universally share as men. Everyone shares in common as men certain realities as image bearers of God. And so the question is, how do we go get that back? How do we go recover Mm. what God meant Not just what he meant when he meant Nick or Morgan, but what he meant when he meant us as men. First, we have to be a man before we can be the particular man we are intended to be. And often it's the path of learning and engaging a little bit in a lot of things so we can develop the whole of the man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Jeez. I want to dive so deep into all this, and we have limited time, so I'm going to ask you right now, are you willing to do a part two? Anywhere you want to go, buddy. I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. Awesome, man. Okay, so let's start here. Um, Someone comes up to you, they're they're 28 years old, right around there, and they they believe in God, They, they grew up in the church, they have a faith, but they're struggling, and and you notice what what is lacking is that boys transition to manhood and i don't want to be i don't want to generalize this too much but how how would you mentor that person in becoming a man what questions would you ask what exercises would you lead them through what what things would you want to know about them to help them identify those specific things that they need to activate or replace um that's a beautiful question because i was that man Mm -hmm. I was that age and I, okay, awesome. So I was that man and I was thirsty and I was uninitiated and I had yet to be married yet to have kids yet to have my work. I was a student, but I had an older man lay out a gospel that had more life than any gospel I had ever heard. And it was John Eldridge and he presented Mm. the gospel through the lens of wilded heart and sacred romance. And it was big enough to fit everything that I had ever dreamed of, hoped for, suffered through. And particularly, there was room as a man. And so I went to John with basically your question and said, will you mentor me? And he turned to me, Nick, and he said, what are your questions? Hmm. And I said, I have no idea what my questions are. I didn't even know what I didn't know. And he said, that's fine. But he said, apprenticeship in the kingdom is shaped by the questions and Mm. answers before questions do harm to the soul and so find your questions and then (laughs) ask god what you'll do with them 
Wow. And so let's drill down on that. Sorry, real quick. Yeah. So first thing I want to ask is, did you reach out to John after you read his book or did you have a prior relationship with him or were you living in close proximity to him or were you still on the East Coast or what did that look like? Just real quick. Yeah, I think I think that's important because we can all um, quickly go to false comparison and 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 compare anytime we compare part of our story to another man's story we always lose Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. always lose and so um i met john by responding to god's initiation his invitation to do the next thing do the next thing Mm -hmm. Um, my mom sent me sacred romance when i was in college which was pretty wild and I um, had a, a radical conversion. I was an econ major, and I was my plans were to get rich and marry a Southern belle and be a president of a company. <laughs> and instead, I met Jesus. I fell in love with a feminist from the Midwest, and I gave up riches, um, mm. and I followed the wild one. And so what I knew I needed was initiation. I smelled the scent of Colorado wilderness. And I heard about this leadership program that was happening at the time. And I didn't even know John was a professor. So I didn't know John. Um, when I showed up, I finally figured out he was there. He hadn't written Wild at Heart. And oh, wow. the man that he wrote Sacred Romance with, his first book, had just died. Brent Curtis, three months before this. So John was young. He had young kids. He was very young in his career. He was teaching one small course in part of this really large um, corporate Christian deal. And I ended up hit one of his 44 students. And he, by God's grace, was open hearted to friendship. And I was thirsty and I turned to him. And it was that day that I became an intern for him. And we developed a personal friendship. And and quickly after that, um, we launched, he left that organization to start what became Ransom Heart and Wild mm-hmm. at Heart. And he wanted to do retreats around this book, Wild at Heart, because there was this phenomenon happening of tens of thousands turning to hundreds of thousands of men responding. And so he asked me to come partner with him to develop the, the ministry and to develop the retreats. So okay. I met John when he wasn't a big deal. And it was simply responding to God's particular path for my initiation. So it was saying yes to the next thing. That is so cool. And speak real quick to, um, because I want to continue with your, your previous answer. I know we're kind of getting off track here, but speak to how or why questions determine your i can't remember the language use your apostleship in the kingdom or how they help you find your your meaning in the kingdom sure yeah you use the word apprenticeship because I, I use it to substitute for discipleship mm-hmm. because for, for me discipleship is a true word but it's very loaded with religion misunderstanding yep. program dogmatism it's a beautiful word but mm-hmm. i'm mm-hmm. careful with that agreed um, but what i notice nick is that um, that's how Jesus led his disciples. Mm. He, he so often res, um, taught with questions, answered questions with questions. Mm. He was always looking to get to the heart of the matter. A question often will take you deeper, and there's often a question below the question that really is what God is after and he's looking for the string that can unravel the entire tapestry 
um, with one pull over time. And so he entices and he disrupts and questions have a way of, of finding us. You know, when God says, Adam, where are you? It's one of the holiest questions of all of Scripture. God knows where Adam is. He offers it for Adam's sake. That's he said, so good. Right? There's a posture of, I see you. But he says, where, Adam, Adam, where have you gone, son? Where have you gone? Because we're not together anymore. Like, where are you? And that's not just a physical question, though he was hiding. It was a soulful question and so we have to get to questions and questions are the heart of conversation and participation and christianity is not a set of tips and techniques it was meant to be a way of living a reality that was um that flows out of a relationship that's centered in this holy trinity of a father son and a holy spirit this holy family in which we're invited to participate so that's where questions are participatory questions to me model the heart of god and his interaction with us and questions cut to the core of our soul more than simply answers mm -hmm. love that so what questions would you ask this hypothetical person to figure out their questions? Um, I want to know a couple things about a man in an indirect way. First, I want to know what come, what makes him come alive? What, wh when, and when does he light up and mm. why? I want him telling stories. I want him telling stories where he felt true, mm. where he felt alive, I want him telling stories of where he felt fear, where he felt like it was up to him. I want to hear both the, um, the I want to see the Imago Dei, the mm -hmm. image of God in him, Nick. The most important thing that we can ever know and experience in a person is that they were born they were fashioned they were created in the image of god mm. whatever you see when you see a man or a woman below that behind that beneath that in spite of that is the image of god and when we begin to see with the eyes of the heart when we begin to see a person as god sees them mm. relate to them not in the person they might be presenting, but in the person we know them to be and they have not yet become. Mm. It will lead us on a treasure trail to help them recover what's true about who they truly are. And so I want to see their glory. I want to get a glimpse into it. And then in their story, I want to excavate indirectly the question of what's gone wrong. What got in the way? Where did you lose track? Where is the pain? Why have you not become that person? And so that's really important. And then the third piece that I really look to in a person's story that's very, very critical is what is the stage of their development? And here's what I mean. Just because someone graduated from college and has big deal grades and now a big deal job and they think they're a big deal doesn't mean they're in a big deal stage of their initiation. Mm -hmm. the, the outside of the man very often has little correlation with the inside of the soul. 
And so when you meet a man, I'm looking to see how old is that man that's talking to me right now? Because part of him may be 28. Part of him may be 16. Mm -hmm. Part of him may be three. Mm. Okay. And so I'm looking for the ages and stages of the soul within the man. And I'm wondering what's next for him. And, and, and then I think the last thing I'll offer in that response is I'm looking to understand what is his view of reality. And, and what I mean by that is I don't care about his doctrine. I don't care about his theology. Mm-hmm. What I care about is his true belief system revealed by his actions. Dallas Willard um, is a brilliant sage, and he mm-hmm. said that actions reveal beliefs 100% of the time. So I'm looking to see what he's saying far beyond his words. I'm looking at his mannerisms. I'm looking at his role in the stories that he tells. I'm looking at themes in his story. I'm looking at his his quirky, unique, odd things. I'm looking at the gravitational pull around him and what I feel around him. When I'm with you, even though we're on a phone, I feel like I want to be on a trail with this guy. Mm. Right? You That's give so off. Cute an atmosphere of, I want to go do something with you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's other people I go, oh man, like this guy, I don't want to be with this guy. This is not a safe place for my soul, mm-hmm. right? Or mm-hmm. where is this guy? I was on a call with a guy yesterday and he was really crafted at doing podcasts mm-hmm. and he had done hundreds of them. But all through the conversation, what I was really thinking was, where are you, mm. Steve? I'm just going to make up a name mm-hmm. just to honor him. But I said, Steve, like, where are you? Where did you go? Because when we prayed together before this podcast, it felt like you were present. Mm-hmm. And then you shifted and you disappeared. Mm. And you're professional, but you're not here with me, right? Mm. So I'm looking to see what is his core belief system. And does that have anything to do with God and his kingdom? Yeah, yeah. Love all of that once again. Goodness. Okay. Um, back to the Imago Dei and the image of God and discovering that and seeing that in someone and pulling that out of someone. Is that, well, first let me kind of give a little anecdote here before I ask the question. Um, so with, I had a tough winter, man. I had probably one of the darkest mental times of my life. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm on the other side of that right now which has been wonderful and just in that in that season of life I was refraining from doing interviews and putting out content on social media and kind of trying to expand my brand or which is you know an attempt to expand the kingdom but I've just kind of been neglecting these things and in the past month or so as the weather has been nicer and I feel like I've been pulled out of kind of this dark mental place and kind of uh, feel like I've grown and progressed through it and learned a lot of things. Um, I'm starting to do more podcasts and I've, I've been, uh, some people have reached out to me to do some podcast interviews and I got super nervous about them just because I haven't been in the game. Um, so to speak recently. So I ended up canceling on a couple, but then I did one about three weeks ago and, uh, the nerves were still there, but I persisted through it. And, afterward I felt so alive and I felt like 
I was utilizing the gifts that God gave me and that God was speaking through me, speaking truth, and that I was doing work for the kingdom and it wasn't about me. Um, but but more so, I felt like I was utilizing the gifts that God gave me, the true and yes. beautiful gifts that I was accepting in humility, not in pride, embracing them you know, in gratitude, but leveraging them, not for myself, for the kingdom. So I'm curious if that Imago day that you are looking for in someone is highly related to their competencies and spiritual gifts and other gifts and talents. What I would say is our gifting and our talents are expressions of parts of that Imago Day, mm. they are. But one of the lenses by which I need to respond to your beautiful um, question and also your story is that it has everything to do with our initiation and our maturation. God is looking to entrust men with power. And as Dallas Willard said, the primary work of God is finding men in whom he can entrust his power. And the story of most men is being entrusted with power and it bringing harm to themselves and those under their care. Hmm. And so what I want to say in response, Nick, is partly that gifting is beautiful. It's holy. It's the Imago Dei. And now the question is, what will you do with it? If you want a great film, you watch The Mask of Zorro, where young Zorro comes into training under old Zorro. And he is a man with tremendous gifting and deep immaturity and lack of initiation. And older Zorro stops him in a fight where he is noble. But younger Zorro turns to older Zorro and he says, why did you stop me? I could have killed that man and he deserved to die. And older Zorro says, yes. You would have fought bravely and you would have died quickly. Mm. You see, he hasn't become the kind of person that can wield the sword. <laughs> Albert Einstein said technology is like a razor blade being put in the hand of a three-year-old. Mm. And so when we talk about gifting and calling and capacity and leverage, I pause in humility and out of my own pain and experience and say, do you know how to use that thing, son? Mm. Right? And mm. so I say that with kindness because what I can tell you is there are many men much older than you who fought bravely and died quickly. <laughs> that they tasted the image of God in them. They had this gifting and this passion and they went out and they built churches and they built companies and they built communities and they built families and it all burned. It all collapsed. And these were good men, but they had not yet become the kind of man in whom God can entrust the care of those very complex sort of things. And so a man must first know his gifting. And we are talking cliff notes here. There's mm -hmm. a lot to unpack, but mm -hmm. you have to know who you are. You have to, and you find that through desire. You find that through exp exploration and discovery. I think a lot of teenage to young 20s is a decade where I would call exploration and discovery. Mm -hmm. But then it's so critical to make a distinction between desire and fulfillment. 
so often we think that those are one in the same. Mm-hmm. We get it. And I'll use the podcast as an example. A podcast is a powerfully leveraged tool. And you don't, if you have, if you've lived through t- 2008, you understand the power of leverage. And if you're living through 2020 and you own financial assets that are heavily indebted with mortgages and loans, Mm -hmm. you will understand the power of leverage working both ways. Mm -hmm. Leverage is not simply a good thing. It is a dangerous thing Mm -hmm. that can be dangerous for good. And so the question is, I'm called to podcast, right? But where are you? Who are you apart from your gifting? And a young man must go through a process of initiation where in time he allows his gifting to be put to death. He allows his gifting to die, to sleep for a time so that he can become the kind of person that knows who he is apart from his gifting. Because, Nick, you and every other person in the world is loved by Mm. God apart from our gifting. We are not loved because of what we do. We are loved because of who we are. And so it's only a man that's loved. It's only a man that knows he is validated by a loving father. It's an, only a man that's become wholehearted and walks in union with God that can wield the sword in strength and courage on behalf of others. So yes, our gifting is important, but it's not the most important thing. And what we are doing with our gifting and our motives below our doing reveal much about where we are Mm -hmm. i'm fired up morgan this is awesome man thank you we are unfortunately out of time i know that you are a busy man with the recent book release and stuff like that so we're gonna get uh part two scheduled everybody don't worry about that i know you guys are most likely digging this as much as i am so um morgan thank you man we'll talk uh when we're not recording and and get the next one scheduled, but stay tuned uh, for part two, everyone. Morgan, thanks a lot, brother. Yeah, it's really good to be um, with you, Nick. I can, I just appreciate your thirst. And even in the stories you shared about your honesty with depression and anxiety, two things of which I have struggled with immensely in Mm. seasons in my story. um, I commend your courage. I commend your curiosity. And I want you to know, along with the listeners that are resonating with our conversation, it's always been a few in every generation. It's available to many, but it's always a few. And there are others like you. There is a like-hearted tribe. And so if this is resonating and you want more, the last two decades of my story has um, been a process of offering out of what I've lived mm. in my path of becoming more and more the kind of man, the kind of king in whom God can entrust more and more of the care of his kingdom. And so you can find uh, podcasts and, and blogs that dive deep with some of the elders that have helped me recover the ancient path and some of that content curated and distilled. But all of that you can find at becomingaking.com. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. I can't wait to talk to you more and I cannot wait to dive into your book, man. Stoked awesome. Thanks, Nick. Great to be with you. You too. All right, Morgan. A special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the instrumental used on the intro and outro of this podcast. 
Also, a big thanks to the good people at Capital Floats, which is Northern California's premier sensory deprivation and float tank facility. I am a frequent user there, and the experience is transformative to say the least. And for listeners of this podcast, they are offering an exclusive deal of 40% off the normal price for a single float. Just go to CapitalFloats.com and use the promo code Life Enchanted with no spaces at checkout. If you're in Northern California, you definitely want to take advantage of this. Please remember that I am not a doctor, so definitely consult your physician before making any sudden diet, supplement, or lifestyle changes suggested in any of these episodes. If you're interested in connecting with me, you can send an email to nick, N-I-C-K, at mylifeenchanted.com, or you can find me on Instagram at mylifeenchanted. Peace.